All right. Well, once again, good morning. This is a wonderful day to celebrate together as a church family this Christmas Eve. Um, there's already been so much edification. I think we could probably go home now, but we're not going to. Um, I spent a long time on that. <laughs> we're going to be resuming our study in Ruth. Uh, we're going to be in Ruth chapter three today. So go ahead and grab your Bible. Turn to Ruth chapter three. If you don't have a Bible, if you're visiting with us, you'll see some Bibles in the backs of the seats. If you do not have a Bible of your own, please take that with you as a gift from us. We want you to have a copy of God's word. So go ahead and open up to Ruth chapter three. As you're getting there, um, I don't know about you, but this has been such an encouraging uh, sermon series. This is a wonderful and encouraging book, and I think this book is an excellent book for us to study because it is profoundly human, profoundly human. We can, con we can quickly identify with the trials and tribulations of life that the characters face. We can admire the grit and, and faithfulness of Naomi. We can admire the courage and commitment of Ruth. We can admire the graciousness, generosity, and manliness that is displayed in Boaz. But ultimately, this book is about the ways of God in human life. See, God's sovereignty and providential will worked out in everyday life and is connected to his overarching plan of redemption. And so we get to sit in this story, in this historical narrative, and see how God interacts with everyday humans to accomplish his providential will. And this is a joyful, joyful book for us. So go ahead and look down with me at chapter three. We're gonna read all of it, and then we're just gonna take our way through this story this morning and see what the Lord has to say to us. Ruth chapter three starts with Naomi. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put, in, put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. <clears throat> then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, I, all that you say I will do. So she went down, speaking of Ruth, to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. <clears throat> he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will, not, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he, will, if, he will not willing, willing to, if he is not willing to redeem you, then, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning. 
but arose after one could, after, before one could recognize another, and he said, let it, be, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley have he gave to me, for he said to me, you must not go, not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So we're right in the middle of this story. This is, everything is beginning to play out. And this narrative starts with um, first person from Naomi. And we recognize Naomi's heart because Naomi recognized that Ruth needed to be cared for. When she says, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you. This idea of seeking rest denotes a place of permanence. We see this same statement used in other places in scripture. Lamentations 1.3 says, Judah has gone into exile because of affliction and hard servitude. She dwells now among the nations, but finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. And so this idea of a resting place was this idea of a place of permanence. Naomi here is acting as a mother to Ruth. No longer is she just a mother-in-law, but there's a familial bond here. Naomi has this great love for Ruth, and she's seeking out a permanent home for Ruth. Naomi understood that the uncertainty of their current position was very difficult. It was one thing to survive widowhood in a foreign land as a foreign woman while Naomi was alive. But what happens when Naomi passes? It's a, it's a whole other idea. It's gonna be significantly harder for Ruth to survive in this land as a Moabite woman without any permanent home, any permanent resting place. Her motivation was love for Ruth. She wanted a new marriage for Ruth, which would provide security, it would provide safety. It would provide happiness. She loved Ruth. She wanted her to be happy and fulfilled. It would provide material blessing as well as blessing of children. And in this day and time, that was very important. That's how you, your family line went beyond you. That's how you were able to survive. But Naomi not only just loved Ruth, but her love for Ruth was connected to her recognition of God's providential will. She recognizes God's providence. Naomi realizes that God is bringing about a potential answer to her prayers more than she even thought that he would in chapter one. If you look, if you look back at chapter one, verses eight and nine with me, when she's departing with her two daughters-in-law, she says, but on the way to return to the land of Judah, but Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each one of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest. That same idea. Each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kisses them and they lifted up their voices and wept. But here, we now see at this point in the story, there's this idea of a kinsman redeemer in play. Naomi is realizing that the Lord is bringing about this sovereign providential will, this kinsman redeemer that not only could provide a husband for Ruth, but could provide 
blessing for Ruth beyond just a husband, could continue the line of Elimelech, could restore the property that was lost in the famine. There was much more at play here, and Naomi sees that. Naomi's actions here model for us one way in which divine and human actions work together to accomplish God's sovereign will. Naomi was sensitive to God's providential working in their lives. She understood that Ruth did not just happen to stumble upon Boaz, if you remember back in chapter two. But God had placed them in an opportunity for redemption. This is God's grace playing out and Naomi is sensitive to the will of God. And this is a great lesson for us. Believers are not to wait passively for events to happen. Rather, we must be diligent to respond and act on the opportunities that God puts before us in his providence. We should be working out our our salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul puts in Philippians 2, 12 through 13, where he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure." There's this synergy between man's choice and God's sovereign will. We're not just to sit back and wait on God and do nothing. We are called to be diligent. We're we're called to work hard. We're called to respond to to the workings of God. How do we know that? As we abide in Christ, John 15. We must abide in Christ, but we're not to be passive, but to be active in our faith. When we have opportunities to share the gospel, we're to be active. When God opens opportunities, we prayerfully step through those to obey God. And Naomi is a great picture of that here and a great example to us. She doesn't know how it's gonna work out. She's not presuming upon the Lord. She's not saying, this is how I'm gonna orchestrate this. She's just simply saying, here is an opportunity. In, in, verse, in chapter two, verse 20, Uh, Naomi said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. She understood it. Here is this opportunity. God has put us in this place. This is not accidental. She understands God's sovereignty. She believes in it. She trusts it. And here she is saying, we need to respond. We need to act. Naomi was sensitive to what God was doing. And this plan, as she puts forward to Ruth, in, in verse two, says, is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? Is he not our relative? Is he not our kinsman redeemer? Naomi is given instructions to draw Ruth's attention to the potential of Boaz as a kinsman redeemer. This idea of a kinsman redeemer was given in the law of God and was commonly practiced. Deuteronomy 25 five through six speaks of restoring the family line. It says, if your brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside of the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in to her and take her as his wife and perform duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother. That is his name, that, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. This idea was given to us in the law and, and commonly practiced, and Naomi understood that. Elimelech's name would not be blotted out, and that's very important. I don't want to give away the end of the story, but 
Christ comes through this line. This is God orchestrating this line and not blotting out Naomi and Ruth. Also in Leviticus 25, verse 23, speaks about restoring a property, restoring the land. If your brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. So this significance of Boaz as his kinsman redeemer was gonna restore the line of the family, was gonna be protective for Ruth, but also gonna restore back the property that was lost during that famine. If you remember, they had to leave. This book opens up with them having left to, to Moab in order to find a place of, whether they did it sinfully, whether they did it uh, faithfully, we don't know, but there's a famine in Israel and they had to sell away their property and they left. And so here, Boaz could restore that as well. Naomi's plan, however, was very risky. This is a very risky and delicate plan that she puts together. So, Because when she's telling Ruth to go down to the threshing floor, there's a lot that has to be uh, carefully planned through this, through this plan of, of Naomi. See, the Moabites, Moabites had a reputation for seducing the Israelites. Ruth was a Moabite. So her going down to this threshing floor was also risky because the threshing floor was often a place where prostitution and encounters like that would take place. This was a very delicate plan of Naomi and her intentions were pure. There's nothing in Naomi's character, nothing in this narrative that would tell us otherwise. So this plan had to be executed with careful consideration and precision. Every step of this plan was very strategic by Naomi. So she tells her the first thing, prepare yourself. She says, watch therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. This idea of washing herself and anointing herself was very strategic by Naomi because it put forward a very clear communication of what her intentions were. She is preparing herself as a bride would. She's putting on her best clothes. This idea of anointing was beautification, was smelling good, you know, like you get ready to go out on a date, putting your best foot forward. But in this culture, this is, hey, I'm uh, putting myself out there. I'm wanting more than just to say hi. I got some intentions here. Uh, not impure intentions, but intentions of marriage. She is preparing herself as a bride would. Another reason for doing this is, as I read through some of the commentaries, there's a possibility that Ruth had been wearing clothes associated with mourning up until this point. Remember, her husband had passed. And so as she's in the fields, as she's gathering grain, she may have been wearing clothes that, that distinguished her as a widow, one who is mourning her lost husband. And so Naomi wanted Boaz to see Ruth in a whole new light. I want you to anoint yourself. I want you to clothe yourself as a bride would. I want, I want him to see that you're no longer mourning your lost husband. And then she gives him the instruction to wait. Do not make yourself known to the man until he had finished eating and drinking. Now this is important. She wanted her to wait until he had finished eating and drinking. This instruction is significant because meals were often associated in appropriate setting for a blessing. As we 
looked at blessings as they were given out in the Old Testament. Often the child that was going to receive the blessing would prepare a meal so that the father was in, a, in the best place, the best attitude, had the, had the spirit of giving out the best blessings, right? And we see this with Isaac when he blesses Jacob in Genesis 27. We see this in other places in Scripture as well. And so this also tells us that Naomi wanted Ruth to approach Boaz at the appropriate time because the blessing was what she desired for Ruth. She desired the blessing, the kinsman redeemer. She wanted Boaz to see her in a new light, and she wanted her to receive the blessing of of marriage to Boaz. And so she wanted her to wait, wait until he's finished eating and drinking. And then observe where he goes, uncover his feet and lie down. Now this part of the story seems a bit odd, right? A little bit strange. Go in, uncover his feet, lay down, don't say anything. This, in our reading of this, could seem a bit creepy, <laughs> right? That is not what is happening here. And, and what Naomi wants um, her to do has, has significance to what she is doing. See, Naomi did not want Ruth to be spotted by anyone else. She did not want her to disgrace herself or Boaz. Remember, hearkening back to what we said a few minutes ago, the threshing floor was a place that oftentimes promiscuity would happen. She's a Moabite. So if she just shows up and people see her, they're they're not gonna think she's there for pure intentions, right? So this is very strategic. Also, the element of surprise was essential for the plan because Ruth, since she's a Moabite and in her position, um, would not get an opportunity to speak to Boaz one-on-one. It would not have been an opportunity that she would have had. Ruth could not speak privately to Boaz in any other setting. She was a young Moabite. He's an older, prominent Israelite. Ruth's lowly status did not allow her to simply accost Boaz during daylight hours to start a conversation. Boaz would not have given Ruth much time and attention in front of his workers for fear of gossip. She wouldn't have had the opportunity to put this plan forward or to to make the request any other way. And so Naomi is setting Ruth up to have that opportunity with just her and Boaz, an opportunity to make the request an opportunity where there would be no gossip, no other intentions even thought about. And so this is how she was going to bring it about, to go lay, uncover his feet and lay down. In studying this aspect of why uncovering the feet, it's, it's pretty confusing to most uh, commentators and scholars. Essentially, I think it's pretty simple. When you're at the threshing floor where the wind blows through, uncovering the feet, would have let some cold air hit him and he would have woke up. <laughs> it's as simple as that. How do I get him to wake up in the middle of the night? Uncover his feet. And laying at the feet in the way that she lays would not give any sign of any intention of sexual promiscuity. It would have been a humble act that when he w- would awake, that it wouldn't give him the sign that she was there for other intentions. And so... The plan is set in place. She does it, and and Ruth replies, all that you said I will do. And Naomi here is gambling upon the character of Boaz. 
she's not suggesting to Ruth to go to do this, expecting that Boaz is gonna take advantage of her. Everything that we've read about Naomi's love for Ruth, Naomi's love for the Lord would not suggest that she would put Ruth in a dangerous situation. Everything we've seen about Naomi's love for Ruth suggests that she believes Boaz will act with the utmost integrity. Yet, it will undoubtedly force Boaz's hand to answer the question, will you redeem Ruth? There will be no way to, to not have this discussion in this moment. And there's a lot of questions of why Boaz hasn't approached her before this point. Knowing he's the kinsman redeemer, as we read further, we know that he knows that he is a relative that could do that. I think as we read further and see that there's one closer, maybe that's why Boaz hasn't made a move, thinking that there's someone else that should. We know his age is older. Maybe he doesn't feel like this younger Moabite would, would be interested in that. I, we don't know. But what we do know is Naomi is saying to herself, we want Boaz to answer that question. And Boaz will have to answer that question with the way that Naomi has laid this plan out. And so now we get to point number two, the plea. So we've saw the plan, it's been laid out, and Naomi is ready to obey the plan exactly how Naomi has laid it out. And so now we get to that moment when the plan takes place. So she goes down to the threshing floor, did exactly what her mother-in-law had commanded her, and when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Now, I want to point out a few things here about Boaz because it would be easy to read that idea of his heart was merry to suggest that there was some sort of drunkenness that had taken place. I don't think that's what the text is putting forward here. I don't think it suggests that he was drunk. But rather, I think it suggests that he's rejoicing over the harvest that the Lord has provided. Because when we see this language about eating and drinking in Scripture, there's usually a qualifier that is put with it if there's drunkenness taking place. We see that in 1 Samuel 25, verse 36 with Nabal. It talks about eating and drinking, and it says he, he was very drunk. There's the qualifier. <clears throat> in 2 Samuel 13 with Amnon, it talks about eating and drinking, and says his spirits were very high from drinking wine, another qualifier. There is no qualifier here for Boaz. I believe that Boaz rejoicing over the harvest was, and his heart was merry because he was glorifying God for his provision. Especially after a time of famine, this would be a lot more in line with the character that Boaz had, has displayed throughout this narrative. Remember, there has been a great famine in the land here, there's been a great harvest, and we have Boaz, this landowner, rejoicing with his, with his workers, I'm sure. Look what the Lord has provided, and he is, he is merry. He's rejoicing. Boaz also makes a choice to sleep at the end of the grain pile. Now, this would, would have been very common um, because the grain needed to be guarded. After a great time of harvest and threshing, and winnowing out the grain, there'd be a great pile of grain and there would be thieves who would want to come and take some of that grain. There'd also be animals that would want to come and eat some of that grain. So it's very common to have someone sleeping at the, the end, the, at, in the threshing floor at the foot of the grain to protect it until it could be stored. What is interesting 
is that Boaz does it. Because what would also be common is to have one of his men do it. But Boaz does it. And that's very interesting. I think this points even further and demonstrates the character of Boaz. He doesn't put his men in that position, first off. Instead, he does it himself to protect the grain, to watch over what had happened. But also, remember again, this is a place where promiscuity also happens frequently. I think Boaz is here because he also wants to protect any of that from happening. And so this further points to the character of Boaz. But also in God's providence, it puts Boaz in exactly the place that he needed to be for this interaction to happen. Once again, this book is so human, but seeing God's interaction within human lives to bring about his plan. None of this happens on accident. Naomi, when she put this plan forward, does not know that Boaz is going to do it this way. She's hoping. But then it ends where Boaz ends up exactly where he needs to be for Ruth to have this encounter. Now, when the encounter starts, it's pretty humorous. You see Boaz startled awake at this woman at his feet, (laughs) right? He says, oh, you know, I can just imagine the startle like, I was asleep and now there's a woman laying at my feet. (laughs) How'd this happen? And we see in his reaction, he says, who are you? Now the, he understands the woman, but he has no idea who this is. Now Ruth's response is very particular. It's very specific. Ruth's response was one of a familial peer. If you look at the original Hebrew in the way that she responds, it's not of a Moabite. She doesn't include that part. She doesn't talk about herself as a lower class bondservant. But the word that she uses here is one of a maidservant. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. In other words, I am Ruth, your maidservant. The reason why this is important By responding this way, as a maidservant, she identifies herself as one who is eligible for marriage. An Israelite would not marry a bondservant, a lower servant. A maidservant was common to take as a bride. Ruth is identifying herself not as a Moabite, but as an Israelite. She's identifying herself with Naomi. She is making it known to him, as we're going to see in just a moment, but You're a kinsman redeemer, and I am one who can be redeemed. It's very important how she responds to Boaz here. And then she says, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Spread your wings can also be translated corners of your garment. Instead of wings, the corners of your garment. This is marriage language. We see this in Ezekiel 16, 8, when God speaks to Jerusalem. It says, when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were, a, you were at the age for love, and I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Ruth gets straight to the point. Marry me, Boaz, is what she is saying. Redeem me. You are my kinsman redeemer, and I want you to redeem me, is what she is saying. 
And she's very wise in the language that she chooses as well because her language also lines up with Boaz's language back in chapter 2, verse 12, and something that he said to her when she met him earlier. He says to her, The Lord repay you for what you have done, a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And, and Ruth is saying, you are right, Boaz, and you, you are a part of that. You are the one who is, God has put forward to redeem. You are the one that God is putting forward to protect and to provide redemption for myself and Naomi. Wow. You could just see Boaz in that moment saying, man, what a character, what a godly woman. And we see that in his response to her. His response is warm and spiritual. Naomi was right. Naomi was right to gamble upon Boaz's character. This shows Boaz's heart for the Lord. He said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You may have this, you have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. What's the, what was the first kindness? He's speaking about her kindness to Naomi. She was loyal to Naomi to come back with her and take care of her mother-in-law, to provide for her, to work hard in the fields, to not leave her by herself. And he's saying, this kindness that you're showing towards me is greater than the kindness you showed towards Naomi. Ruth was not one who was selfish. She forsook selfishly pursuing younger men, but instead she is pursuing Boaz who could provide security for both her and Naomi. She was a young woman. She was a desirable woman. She was one who I'm sure probably had men who would be willing to marry her. And she could have had some of that security that Naomi wanted for her, but instead she forsakes that. And she wants Boaz because he's the kinsman redeemer that can provide restoration for the line of Elimelech, for Naomi, for Naomi's property, for everything. She puts herself aside. Ruth was not a selfish woman, but a noble, noble woman of character, displaying her love for God and for others. Ruth had proven to be a woman of noble character, even among the town. Because look what Boaz says right after that. Do not fear, for I will do for you all that you've asked, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. One way this is translated is all those at the gates. In other words, you can say all the elders of the land the ones who are um, shepherds of the land, who are priests of the land. The, everyone in the land understands that you are a woman of worth, of noble character. Your reputation precedes you. I will do what you say because you're the type of woman that I do want attached to me. Remember, Boaz is a godly, prominent man. And he is full of grace and mercy towards her, but he sees Ruth is a gracious gift to himself as well. Turn with me to Proverbs 31 because the word for worthy here is kalel, which is used for a virtuous wife in Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. 
And Ruth is a great character study of what the, those passages mean. So turn with me to Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. And I want you to see these verses in a new light this morning. Because we have a, a picture, we have a face to this character, Ruth. Proverbs 31, verse 10. An excellent wife, who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. I think this is what Boaz is saying. She makes linen garments and sells them, and she delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dig dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and, teach, and the teaching of kindness is in her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This same word, Khalil, is the word that's translated excellent here. An excellent wife. It's exactly what Boaz says to Ruth. Boaz, or Ruth is a picture of biblical womanhood. Women, if you want to know what it looks like to be an excellent wife, to be a biblical woman, Ruth is a great example. Men, if you're looking for a picture of what a godly man looks like, Boaz is an excellent example. She's a worthy woman. But there's a complication. Everything's going great. Boaz is pumped. Ruth is pumped. A little bit of cold water comes. Well, everything you say I will do except for there is a redeemer closer than I. This is very significant because they would not allow their desires to usurp God's plan. You see both of them desiring to obey the Lord more than to fulfill their own desire. Here, Boaz brings up, yet there's a redeemer nearer than I. He's already expressed how he would love to redeem Ruth. But if it would be God's will that this other redeemer would want to redeem you, then that is good. Remember I said we see a great picture of human interaction with God's sovereign plan, and this is a great example. We do need to 
act upon the opportunities that God puts before us. But we do not step beyond the bounds of God's word. And Boaz does not do that. He remembers what the law says about a kinsman redeemer and says, there is one closer than I, which means it's his right. Acknowledging is good that you want a kinsman redeemer, but I may not be that one. And Ruth demonstrates the same type of faith in accepting that answer. We don't see her try to manipulate. We don't see her trying to say, well, does it really matter? Can we go ahead with it? Can we, you know, none of that. She accepts it. And so he tells her, stay here tonight. Boaz is demonstrating a loving care for Ruth. Stay here tonight. This is protecting not only her reputation, but her physically. If he were to send her out at that moment, it's midnight. There are thieves. There's a lot of dangers out there for a woman. There's animals. He doesn't want Ruth to be put in harm's way. But they do get up early enough to where no one would see. No one, he's still protecting her reputation. And then he says the promise to her, if, if he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. In other words, you will be redeemed. But we're gonna trust the Lord with who should do that. And they trust the sovereign plan of God. And then we see his loving care for her even further. As they get up early in that morning, before anyone could recognize, because he says, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. I don't want, you to, I don't want anybody to get this twisted. Don't want anybody to think something happened here that didn't happen. I don't want your reputation to be tarnished, my reputation to be tarnished. So they get up early. And he says, bring your garment here that you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Now, most of the time, measures were measured in ephahs. If this was six ephahs, this would be 200 pounds approximately. Probably not <laughs> six ephahs, unless Ruth is really strong. <laughs> and she might have been. I mean, she's a hard worker. Um, but it's probably not what the measurement was. It was probably... Asiya, which is, I think I'm saying that right, but it's a third of an ephah, which would be more about 80 to 90 pounds, still a lot, still demonstrating Ruth was certainly strong. She was a hard worker. Remember Proverbs 31, she, she puts on arms of strength. She had some guns on her probably. <laughs> probably why Boaz liked her. No, I'm just kidding. Um, maybe not. Anyway, but it does demonstrate a generous gift. Really the point that, that Boaz is trying to demonstrate not only to her but also to Naomi is this generous gift demonstrating his willingness to provide for both Naomi and Ruth. And we see this in our last section. So as we begin our closing, let's look at the possibility. Don't get too excited just because I said closing. We got some time left. The possibility. Verses 16 through 18 when she came to her mother-in-law, Naomi says, how did you fare, my daughter? The original translation of this is literally, who are you? In other words, what's different about you? What happened? Did he redeem you? 
is he doing it today? Did it happen last night? Like what, what has happened? And Ruth tells her everything that, that happened. Told her all that the man had done for her. I'm sure that was um, an exciting storytelling between Naomi and Ruth. Wondering what's gonna happen, anticipating what's gonna happen. But she shows her these six measures of barley he gave me, for he said to me, you must not go, not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And Naomi responds with, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Once again, comforting Ruth with the character of Boaz. She knew that Boaz would act swiftly. This gift from Boaz was a demonstration of his promise. And Naomi is comforting Ruth, understanding that Boaz would not rest until the matter was settled. We started this chapter with Naomi hatching this plan, a small window of time to capitalize upon the providential will that she saw God orchestrating. And at the end of this chapter, we are left with anticipation. But the anticipation of great hope because the matter would be settled. Ruth would be redeemed, whether by Boaz or by the one who was closer. Either way, Ruth would be redeemed. The line of Elimelech would be made whole again. Her property would be restored. When she came into this narrative, she called herself Mara. She had lost everything. She was discouraged. She was grieving. She was wondering if God had forgotten. And here we sit with this anticipation of hope, knowing that God was orchestrating a redemption for his children, for Naomi and Ruth. And I think this is a perfect chapter for us to talk about today on Christmas Eve. Because this same idea of hope really parallels what we celebrate in Christmas. This whole Advent season has been us remembering and the anticipation that led up to the celebration of the birth of Christ. Remember, we, we began today in this book of Ruth, and I reminded you about how God's, God sovereignly and providentially works out his plan in everyday life and is connected to his overarching redemptive plan. This story of Christ is that same type of story. He works through Mary, Joseph, these people in everyday life to bring about his overarching plan of redemption that was set forth before the foundation of the world. How amazing is God's provision. Without Christ, we are left hopeless, desolate because of sin. Sin separates us from God. Death is the promise for sin. It leaves us hopeless and destined for hell. Romans 5.12 reminds us, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because of all, because all sinned. Because of Adam we have death. That is our story apart from Christ. 
Romans 3, 10 through 12 reminds us, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That was the story of man apart from God's redemptive plan. This book of Ruth is that picture and a reminder of God's redemptive plan And it reminds us back to how God has set that redemptive plan before the foundations of the world. And we see it first proclaimed in Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Christmas is a celebration that God has fulfilled his promise. Which was marked by the birth of Christ and culminates in the resurrection. The whole Old Testament is that looking forward and anticipation, and this story of Ruth is one that's right in the middle of that. I don't wanna give away the ending, come back next week, but Boaz and Naomi are right in the line of Christ. It's through this family that we eventually get our Savior, Christ, that we celebrate on Christmas. We wanna rejoice over Christ, just as the angels did and the shepherds did in the field. We read it this morning, but I'll read it again. Luke 2, 8 through 11. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, who is Christ the Lord. This day, tomorrow, we celebrate that day. Christ has come. Christ has lived a perfect sinless life. Christ has defeated sin and death on the cross. Christ has made a way of redemption for all who will put their faith and hope in him. So, Let us rejoice, Christian, in this time. Let us rejoice in our Redeemer. Let us celebrate on Christmas morning, not with the anticipation of things that we are gonna get, but a reminder of the the great gift that we've been given, salvation through Christ. But I know that there's probably some here visiting, maybe, that that is not your story. Your story is still one of being separated from God. And I want you to receive the hope through the plea of redemption and faith. I want tomorrow as you wake up to be the first day that you get to rejoice in the remembrance of your Savior because he became your Savior today. I want to remind you what Paul says in Romans 10, 9-13. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved.
And I just want to implore you, if you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior, repent. Put your faith in him. Let today be a day of rejoicing for you as well. So, let us rejoice in our Redeemer. Let's pray.